Welcome to the Ripened Heart Podcast, where we explore the depths of the human psyche through the lens of homeopathy, human design, and astrology for soul-deep healing. Each episode will feature vulnerable and thought-provoking conversations, highlighting healing modalities that help us shift our perspective on what it means to be a healthy and fulfilled human being in today's world. I'm your host, Kaylee Anello. Let's dive into the podcast. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Ripened Heart Podcast. We're going to be doing another homeopathy episode today, which I'm so excited about. You all know that I love homeopathy, and I thought it would be a great opportunity to interview my mentor, who I'm studying homeopathy with, Doug Brown. Some of you know and love Doug just as much as I do, so I'm so excited to finally get him on the podcast. Um, And he is a graduate of Yale University School of Nursing in the Hahnemann College of Homeopathy. Uh, He worked in conventional medicine as a family practitioner for 11 years and was dissatisfied with how it treated chronic disease. And so he wanted to explore different avenues of healing. And that's how he decided to pursue homeopathy. And based on the fact that he's been doing it over 20 years, I I can only assume that he's more satisfied with with, uh, the care that his patients are receiving now. So I'm just so excited to have him on today and get to hear his journey. He has so much wisdom to share. Um, You can find him at homeopathichealing.org. He has amazing articles on there all about different aspects of homeopathy. Um, I highly recommend reading them and checking them out if you're interested. But without further ado, I will hand it over to Doug. Thank you so much for being on, Doug. Thank you, Kaylee. What a sweet introduction. Thanks oh. so much for that. I'm honored to be on your podcast. Yeah, excited, yeah. Excited so, about the conversation. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm, I'm so excited um, to dive into your, your journey to homeopathy. Um, I remember you mentioning that it started with your son, right, with, with an ear infection. So I'd love to hear a little bit about that, about how you even heard the word homeopathy for the first time. Yeah, that's right. I mean, that's actually the proximal cause and the, there's also underlying causes. And as you pointed out in the, intro, in the introduction, the more underlying causes, why I was open at all was my dissatisfaction uh, with medicine as a family nurse practitioner. I would been, you know, I saw so many patients with chronic illness that I just felt I was managing, managing diseases rather than helping in any way to heal. Mm-hmm. In some ways, our healthcare system is a disease management system rather than a healthcare system, right? Yeah. They have their symptoms diagnosed. They get categorized into different diseases. And then, and, and that involves all kinds of testing, all kinds of diagnostic procedures. You come out with a diagnosis, which it's true. Many people feel very happy to finally have a diagnosis. People feel, okay, great. I have an explanation for why I'm hurting. It's this diagnostic term. And then people, and then they feel somehow part of a collective of other people with this diagnostic term. And that psychologically helps a lot of people. But I could see that it wasn't really helping to heal. Yeah. And uh, that was very dissatisfying. One of the things that was very dissatisfying uh, over time was this the way even that we kept patients' charts. 
in primary mm. care. You know, in the beginning of a chart, there's this problem list, and we would list the different diagnoses or or rule outs that patients would have. You know, okay, this patient has peptic ulcer disease, problem number one. This patient has rheumatoid arthritis, problem number two or three. You know, maybe major depression, number four. You know, whatever it is, there's this list, and there's no implicit assumption that all of these things are connected into one whole. So this is, as you mentioned, the fragmentation mm, that I was mm -hmm. perceiving. And uh, it's funny that that word fragmentation comes up because I just, just before was giving a talk on the work of David Bohm, the physicist, he talks about reality as being this undivided wholeness and flowing movement, right? That's reality. Oh. But in, in primary care, what we do is we, we we compartmentalize and we take these things as separate things and then we treat them with medicines or surgery to try to mechanically repair or at a molecular level go in there and change the molecules so that these symptoms don't occur completely disregarding the wholeness of the patient and that these symptoms are representative of some whole experience that the patient is going through right so so that was the 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 more underlying dissatisfaction I was having. Now, as you mentioned, my son's ear infection was the proximal cause of my finding homeopathy. I, I had been going through, or or I should say, homeopathy finding me, because <laughs> I, was, I was stubborn. You know, I wasn't really open, as a matter of fact, to homeopathy per se. I was open to something other than what I was doing, and I had gone on a search. I had been learning thought field therapy. You know, which is, as your listeners may know, is the tapping and. I'd been learning about hypnosis and trying some of that. Oh. Interested in constellation therapy, the work of Bert Hellinger, the German psychologist, Gestalt therapy. I was interested in all kinds of things and learning about all kinds of things, but was having trouble figuring out how to apply alternative methods of healing in a clinical setting, you know, where where I was being asked to see patients every 20 minutes and so forth. And how do how do I apply these holistic therapies in a clinical setting? And um, and so uh, so yeah so my son developed an ear infection as you mentioned and uh, he had a really high fever and uh, of course it started on a Friday night as little children's ear infections almost always do on the weekend when clinics are closed and so forth but but um, you know so I checked him out looked in his ears could see that his eardrums were red and bulging and uh, did the the reflexive thing I'd been done thousands of times before and had been taught to do, which was put him on amoxicillin. Mm. Well, amoxicillin didn't help him. He, he just got worse and uh, was in a lot of pain, a lot of suffering. And um, so um, I can't remember if it was I myself or another provider who prescribed a different antibiotic, trimethoprim sulfa, which is the next, you know, it's sort of we, in, in regular medicine, you sort of go down this algorithm. This is what you do with this diagnosis, right? So, but he, he wasn't responding to the second antibiotic. And then I knew that the next step in the algorithm would be to bring him to an ear, nose and throat doc who would then do a, you know, do an otolaryngoscopy where they put the tubes in the kid's ears. But I had read not too long before that those procedures, while they often do provide immediate relief from the pressure and buildup in the middle ear, it can lead to long-term scarring of the eardrum and potentially some long-term hearing loss. So I wasn't all that excited about that idea. And um, so at that point, you know, my son had been suffering a long time with fever and dehydration and crying. It was miserable for a number of days now. And someone suggested I bring him to a homeopath. And I scoffed at the idea, actually. I was not so open because I thought, well, homeopathy was just those, just those little pills that, that grandmothers give, you know. To, oh, you'd heard of it before? I'd heard of it, but I, you know, I, I just, I didn't think it, I thought it was crazy. 
but I was desperate. <laughs> so <laughs> out of desperation, uh, I brought him to a homeopath. His name was Prem Dev. I'm pretty sure he's retired now. He had practiced in India for many years, treating epidemic diseases, malaria, cholera, typhoid, all kinds of things, tuberculosis, and then had become a faculty member at, here in Portland at the Nas National College of, of Naturopathic Medicine, now NUNM. Anyway, uh, I'd heard of him. I was recommended, uh, he was, I was referred to him. So I brought, brought my son to him and I was really kind of put off by the questions Dr. Dev asked. They seemed completely <laughs> irrelevant to my way of thinking about, you know, they, he asked questions about his overall nature and about the color of his earwax and things that just seemed <laughs> completely irrelevant to me in my very conventional training. And then when, when Dr. Dev proceeded to prescribe Belladonna, explained that this is, uh, this is uh, you know, nightshade, a nightshade plant, um, deadly nightshade, I was like, really? And then he said, don't worry, you know, it's so dilute. <laughs> no toxic effects at all. I said, okay, great, it's so dilute, there's nothing in there, but how will it help? I was extremely skeptical, <laughs> but it was just out of desperation that I gave my son Russell this, this remedy. And within hours, he started to feel better. And I was just incredulous. And the next day when he was much, much better, and I looked at his ears again, and the eardrums looked like they were going back to normal. And I had treated hundreds, if not thousands of kids with antibiotics with ear infections in my work as a nurse practitioner. I've never seen an ear infection like this resolve so quickly. We always have two week checks and almost always there's still fluid behind the ears. The redness is gone, but the fluid is still there. Often another round of antibiotics is prescribed and so on. A cycle is actually mm -hmm. set into existence. But here he was like getting right back to normal and his eardrums looked normal and his behavior became normal and he was happy and within a day, and I was like, I was, I was incredulous. There was so much cognitive dissonance. Totally. Right, between what I had been taught about disease and how to, how to, how to heal and, and what, what I saw happening. Um, so I just was, I, I was just puzzled. I didn't know what to do with it. And a few months later, poor Russell, my son got sick again. I guess, you know, I, I felt like the universe, in retrospect, I felt like the universe needed to give me another kick in the pants because yeah. I was big-headed. Thank uh, you, Russell. <laughs> poor Russell had to, had to be my teacher, right? Yeah. Anyway, uh, it happened when I was traveling with my son uh, down to the Bay Area, San Francisco Bay Area, um, and uh, to visit my brother. And, and uh, so I just called Dr. Dev on the phone and explained and he asked a few similar crazy questions and I answered and he said, get Belladonna if you can, give it to him again. So I did, I found Belladonna there locally, gave it to him again, he immediately had a response. So at that point, I could no longer ignore what I had witnessed twice now. So I just began reading some books and uh, whatever I could find. And, you know, I still, I still was very puzzled but the explanations that I read about like curing like and so forth mm -hmm. and minimum dose they still seemed rather preposterous to me, quite honestly, mm -hmm. but I couldn't dismiss my experience. Mm. And so I was curious. And so I, I began studying how to do it. And I began sneaking remedy kits into my <laughs> job as a nurse practitioner. And occasionally yes. <laughs> if people would seem open to it, I would suggest taking a remedy. And occasionally, in spite of my ignorance, I would help people get better with that. And that, and that fed my continuing eagerness to learn more. And then, um, then somebody, a friend mentioned to me that there was a psychiatrist 
who was practicing in Vancouver, across the river here in Washington, who uh, was using remedies, homeopathic remedies, to treat his chronically ill, mentally ill patients. That really interested me. I have a very strong interest in mental health. And so he agreed to meet me for lunch. And uh, he said, I can't tell anybody that he does this because he, his medical license would be suspended. Yeah. Now I imagine he wouldn't care because he's retired. Uh, but I'll still keep his name under wraps. But, but um, uh, yeah, he encouraged me. He said, yes, I have some amazing cures of chronic mental illness. And he encouraged me to go to the Hahnemann College of Homeopathic Medicine, which at the time was um, the best school in North America. Uh, and it was being taught by Roger Morrison and Nancy Herrick and Jonathan Shore. Those are the three principal instructors. And I went down there to observe for one long weekend and was blown away by some of the video uh, video cases that they showed to teach the before and after. And you know this, you know, when I was blown away then, I continued to be blown away for the next several years as I attended as a student because we would see the patients were treated not just for their illness, not just for their disease, but for their experience and how that experience when treated homeopathically would result not just in a resolution of symptoms, but in a kind of transformative healing of the person, of the person's experience. And um, that became quite addictive to me. I, yeah. I could never go back after that to doing, treating symptoms with medications because I saw that, that you know, that symptoms carry meaning and there's something to be learned at a deep level from our illnesses. And uh, if we can internalize what the lesson is that an illness is bringing to our attention, we'll be much better for it than if we just suppress it. So yeah, that's the story. So yes, yeah, so homeopathy definitely found me. I was reluctant at first, but uh, <laughs> the universe was fortunately quite persistent. <laughs> yeah, it's it's funny. Um, a couple of things are coming to mind. First of all, I, I love hearing stories of skeptics or people who are just so outside of that paradigm finding homeopathy because my story was a lot different with that. I, I was going to school for psychology and actually was planning on being a psychiatrist when I was an undergrad. And I was really interested in neuroscience and everything like that. But for some reason, when I was introduced to homeopathy from a chiropractor, I had been seeing, I, I didn't question it. I don't know if it's just because I'm very Pisces and into astrology and all the spiritual, the weirder, the better. That was the, another side of my personality. So I don't know why I wasn't skeptical. Maybe I should have been. <laughs> um, but I think it was just because they didn't try to convince me of what it was. They didn't even really explain to me what it was. They just gave it to me. And like you said, it was the experience that, you know, just left without a shadow of a doubt in my mind that there was something to it because in my experience, when I was given a pulsatilla for the first time, it was like, I went from on the verge of going to the emergency room to sleeping for the next 48 hours. <laughs> it just kind of like, conked me out and I was sleeping in the back seat on the way home. So it was just like pretty remarkable experience and nothing um, else that I had tried in the natural realm. Cause at that point I tried herbs and supplements and everything like that. And it just didn't have the same 
effect. It, it was just a very, very different experience. And I think that that's the case with a lot of people is that they just have to give it a try, you know, be put aside what they believe about, you know, health and healing and why they're sick and standard of care and all of that and just give it a try. And especially in acutes, it's pretty remarkable. Like if somebody comes in, like you said, with an ear infection or something that really started that's that's super on the surface of the person versus like a chronic illness, which can take some more time. It's just, it's remarkable. Um, and you know, it's, it's really funny because I've been thinking a lot about pets recently. Um, a friend of mine had um, consulted me about his dog that had gotten attacked and we've heard um, stories about animals recently from patients and, you know, for people who think, oh, homeopathy is just a placebo effect. Well, animals don't, can't participate in that kind of experiment. They don't know. So, and it works for them. So it must, there must be something to this medicine. It's hard to describe. It's hard to put into words. And so that's why I love when people are just kind of like nudged by the universe, so to speak, to be like, you're desperate, you might as well give it a shot. What do you have to lose? Um, and the other thing I was wanting to ask you is um, the psychiatrist that you met with, um, did he practice constitutional care or did he practice another form of homeopathy? And did he share any of his healing stories with you when you met with him? I'm so curious. Yeah, it's a great question. I, he was a graduate of the same school, Hahnemann College, that I oh. went to. So I'm pretty sure he practice constitutional homeopathy. And I don't remember any details of the cases. Yeah. I just remembered he said, he just told me he successfully treated uh, bipolar and schizophrenia, things like that, very serious illnesses. So. Oh yeah, yeah, that's just remarkable. But your story, um, I mean, it really underlines how experience is so, um, it's such a contrast to, you, you know the you know the, uh, the bumper sticker that says opinion, opinion, opinion? Have you seen yeah. that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that because we are so entrenched in our cognitive structures. I'm, you know, I grew up in New York City. I went to the Bronx High School of Science. I considered myself hard-headed, scientific, you know, scientific, <laughs> you know, and I had strong, had, I still probably do have strong opinions and those opinions can really shape what, what we try and what we don't try. So it really went against my grain to try homeopathy. And yet the experience can, an experience can really upend our cognitive structures, our maps of how the world works. And that, that's certainly what happened to me. Yeah. And a lot of times um, we have to experience the other polarity of like you, you experienced what it was like to be a nurse practitioner and work with patients in that way and saw that it, it wasn't working in the, in that paradigm. And I saw the same thing with, you know, growing up and with my family who had been through the psychiatric system, it was like, there's something, my intuition was just like, there's something wrong here. There has to be more to this. And that's why I started, started by, you know, potentially getting a degree in psychiatry and psychology. And I was like, you know, there's, there's, has to be something more to this. You know, it was very, um, dissatisfying when I was studying that in, in um, my undergrad, I was like, there, there has to be more than just trying to manipulate thought with cognitive behavioral therapy and, um, you know, get the diagnostic pad out when, like you said, a lot of times you only have 20 minutes or you have longer with a psychiatrist, but it just, 
right. you know, and then the therapy model as well, it, it felt like people would go through this loop where they would relive their trauma through talking about it and through somebody witnessing them, there, there is a healing effect. And that is part of the homeopathic process as well. Somebody listening to your story without judgment and receiving that and um, giving space for that, there's a healing component of it, but there's, it's still energetically within the person. And I think that that's where homeopathy really has a strength where there's just something to it that pulls out all of this energy that's just been in this, every cell of the body and the tissues, wherever that, you know, quote unquote disease is, there are so many stories and memories and pains and things that have just been pushed down either because we had to survive in the moment and that's how we, the human body copes. It's amazing. Repression is actually really helpful because it gets us through the trauma in the moment. Same thing with medications that suppress symptoms, but there's a better way to then let go of it because for some reason, either, you know, there, there was no way to process that pain or there, there just wasn't a way, an avenue for the body to actually fully release that experience. And so in your view, I know it's a very hard, abstract question, but in your view, what are these homeopathic remedies doing that pull all of that story, all that stuff in our past, all the traumas that are contributing to these disease states? What, why does it work? What is it doing? Yeah, that's one of my favorite questions, actually, Kaylee. And just backing up a minute, I, I also want to say that, as you as you said too, that these conventional methods and psychotherapy and, and regular medicine they they do have a role and they can help. They have helped. They did help. They do help many millions of people. I don't want to completely devalue that, but it's a little bit like, you know, each each sphere of medicine has its has its applicability or its range of of application. Just like you know, Newton's worldview, his laws of thermodynamics, et cetera, have a great explanatory potential for much of what we experience in the world. But when you go to a deeper level, we can see that they don't apply. And uh, just like when we really want to get to the source of disease, conventional medicine just doesn't, doesn't work because it doesn't get to the root of illness. So what is the root of illness? And what are, as you ask, what is the, you know, what is the, what are these remedies? What are they doing? Um, so, so as you said, you know, illness is, we have to recognize that when we get sick um, in a physical way, the body, you know, you know there's a book uh, called The Body Keeps the Score mm -hmm. by uh, Kessel van der Kolk, I think, Kolk, I think is his name, a Belgian or Dutch writer. I love that title, The Body Keeps the Score, because what we're not able to integrate in a conscious way uh, our body holds on to, as you said, our body holds on to all kinds of trauma, all kinds of pain. And, um, and we, we become some ways controlled or trapped uh, within these, these unconscious uh, traumatic uh, experiences that have, a hold, that have a hold on us. They're deep within, we're not fully conscious of them. Um, they usually have some aspect to them which, which we can learn from, which we can benefit from. Uh, but because they're painful, we don't, we, don't, we don't know how to integrate it into our being. And 
a remedy is a bridge. Uh, it's, a, it's an informational bridge to a field of information which allows us to integrate that information. It is a bridge to a field of information which contains the same questions which our whole being is asking, but also contains answers to those questions. So um, if we conceptualize, you know, I think most of us intuit at some level that the reason we're here having a life at all is to learn something. We're incarnated to learn something. And to learn something, we have to somehow enlarge our, our understanding and our experience. And growth generally involves some kind of pain, some kind of blood, sweat, or tears, right? But if we can, if we can be connected to a field of information which has been asking that question for a long time and which already has the beginnings of an answer and, and share that healing journey with something else in the universe that has also been grappling with that question, mm -hmm. then we're not alone in it. We're connected to this field of information which helps bring us to a new level of understanding and in, most importantly, integration uh, so that we can achieve that growth without going through all of the pain and suffering that is often involved in it. Right. Yeah. Not, does that, does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, it does. And, um, I, I know in the past, um, you've described it as a homeopathic remedy essentially updates your, your glasses prescription, or it gives you a wider vantage point of the things you've experienced. Um, it gives you a higher perspective in a lot of cases. And um, that way, too, you can make peace with and integrate all of the, the that thread that's running through the experience. So that thread that's connected to all the physical symptoms, the story, the mental, emotional, um, even the spiritual journey of even past family members. Um, and that's what I find really interesting about homeopathy, too, is that there's something about it that not only touches you, but then it touches past generations and um, things that your ancestry line experienced that for some reason, you know, you are also, um, is also in your unconscious and is affecting you in some way. And I feel like um, just through speaking with other people, even in different healing modalities, sometimes there's like a person that's chosen from a family that it, it has basically the destiny to help integrate those past traumas in the family line. And so maybe they'll be attracted to something like homeopathy or other healing modalities that can help the family line heal moving forward. And that's something that really interests me too. I don't know what about the remedy can do that. Like you said, it's an informational field um, that resonates with, you know, with that person's experience. And I just find it so profound that, our world was set up in such a way where it's it's like the creator, the universe, whatever you want to call it, put these minerals and animals and plants and everything that our remedies are made from. You can make a, a homeopathic remedy out of literally anything. So it's infinite possibility. Right. There's something in there that can show you and mirror 
that experience, that pain that you've been through, those symptoms and can help shake it and remove it from the body. It's just, it's mind blowing. <laughs> it's mind blowing, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and yeah, in your view, what do you think it is that, that it's able to, to touch past generations too in the family line? There's something, I know that you talk about sometimes the morphogenic field and um, other aspects of consciousness and that that's what we're doing is applying consciousness and homeopathy. So I'm curious if you had any thoughts about that, any theories? Yeah, well, I, yeah, I, you're exactly right. Often within a family system, there's a designated sort of patient or a designated carrier, someone who seeks out the healing, who carries the symptoms of the family and of the, of the ancestry. And uh, constellation therapy also works with that understanding. I think another aspect is that people also can carry memories from past lives. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that can also be at the, the, the thing that's trying to be worked out. Sometimes, sometimes both are involved in that, you know, there's an idea that, that may be true that when we reincarnate, we're actually reincarnating with other members of our extended family, right? So, yeah. so there can be ancestral trauma that we're working out as a group of souls that are reincarnating in a way collectively uh, and working that out. Um, and it is kind of miraculous that there seems to be um, something else in the universe that that can mirror that trauma or that question, that problem, and help us work it out in a way that creates less pain. Um, as I said earlier, you know, David Bohm, the physicist, talked about the universe being uh, undivided wholeness mm-hmm. in a state of flow. And we ourselves are part of that in the, in the implicate order of the universe, as he would say. We ourselves are part of that implicate flow and part of that, that unbroken flow before there's any fragmentation. And so in a way, it makes sense that since we are part of wholeness, that the consciousness of trees, of flowers, of, of elements, of whales, of dolphins, of butterflies, that, that we also uh, are in a state, as, as Thich Nhat Hanh would say, of interbeing mm-hmm. with all of these things. We're not really separate. You know, actually, each of us is just a kind of series of ripples or a vortex, a vortex vortex on on this surface of undivided wholeness and wherever there are vortices or ripples spreading out there's going to be places of intersection right Mm -hmm. where the vortices come together and mingle right um you know the it's fun sometimes to you know to flip the question of why do we get sick Mm -hmm. to sometimes flip that question on its head and ask ourselves the question, why is it that we're at all ever healthy? Mm, yeah. Right. Because, you know, if we look at the Buddha's first noble truth, that all is dukkha, all is suffering, you know, then <laughs> one would conclude that, which I think is true, all is dukkha, then, then we should be sick all the time. Yeah. So, uh, you know, to be alive and to be an individual is in itself a kind of amazing miracle. Mm-hmm. Uh, because as, the, as David Bohm says, the cosmos is this kind of living 
organism of undivided wholeness, this flow of myriad forms, energies flowing through and creating space, right? Mm -hmm. And the fact that each one of us experiences an identity as separate from this cosmic flowing wholeness is kind of a paradox and, and yeah. a novel, right? Yeah. So, and, and the contemporary philosopher of mind, Bernardo Castro, um, he explains this experience of individual subjectivity uh, by using the model of dissociative identity disorder. Basically what he says is that the universe itself has chosen to become sick with a multiple personality disorder. Mm -hmm. And each of us is a kind of dissociated alter within this universe of undivided wholeness, right? So the very act of experiencing oneself as separate from the universe as a whole is a kind of symptom of a cosmic illness. Mm. Now, of a cosmic multiple personality disorder, the fact that <laughs> I think I'm Doug Brown, that somehow I'm separate from you, Kaylee, yeah. is a kind of symptom of a, of a multiple personality of an illness, right? So why would, why would the universe do that? Yeah. Why, why would the universe do that? Well, maybe it's to generate a mechanism uh, generate an experience, a possibility of experience that is other than undivided wholeness, just to to increase the the, the possibility of of experience, maybe to experience love, mm -hmm. right? Because how could one experience love if there wasn't at least some possibility of separation, right? As some very wise person once said, you can't lose an ego without having an ego first. Yeah. Right? Um, so you have to have this experience of separation, but the experience of separation itself is one of, of suffering, mm -hmm. illness. Um, but yes, so we, we, we experience illness, we experience suffering, we, ex we experience this as Castro would say, this dissociative boundary between ourselves and others, which, which is our, where we experience perception and sensations and suffering. Um, but along with that, the universe provides um, companions, other experiences, other consciousnesses, which if we connect to, will help us transcend the suffering and enrich our experience and integrate it into something more whole. And, you know, the question then gets an answer to, to help, help re resolve it and, and bring it to a new, a new plane of awareness, a new plane of integration. Yeah, absolutely. It it reminds me of um, a quote that I had written down. You had written an article on homeopathic philosophy, and um, I'm just going to read it because I think it's really relevant. Um, you had said, clearly, we can recognize healing by the patient's increased freedom to create his own reality, a reality shaped by his uniquely human individual will, rather than a compulsion driven by the need of a non-human state to project itself into existence. And so that's the other thing that we're doing with remedies, right? Is is there something that's resonating within our being that is non-human, which is you know a, a concept that's hard to grasp for many, and even for homeopaths, you know, why is there something that's kind of discordant with um, the human experience that's expressing itself that wants to be heard, and that you know is kind of like the Carl Jung quote. Um, the unconscious will direct your life and you'll call it fate if it, if it remains hidden. It's it's kind of that same principle where it kind of restricts the person's 
ability to um, manifest the life that they're hoping for and to have the freedom um, to create what they want instead of attracting these things that are in accordance with a state that is mistuned or not in harmony, as we would say in homeopathy. And so I always find it interesting and I always pay attention to that in my own life. Like what, what am I attracting and why, and what does it say about me and, and what can I learn from it? And then of course, like what remedy resonates with that and can help to integrate that. So I just love that quote um, from your article and that idea of a non-human state projecting itself. And when we're taking a remedy, it kind of quiets that non-human state that, that we're in so that we can experience better health. Yeah, well, and I love your quote of Jung, and of course my quote is certainly um, inspired by Jung, uh, who did talk about the necessity of, of uh, recalling our projections, integrating our projections to, to become whole so that we don't, as you say, project our states onto, the, onto our others or, or to our experience and then call it fate. I love <laughs> that Jungian, that quote of Carl Jung. Yeah. You know, and, you know, to make it, to give it a homeopathic context, you know, if someone, for example, is in a, uh, in an arnica state, a chronic arnica state, not just an acute state, but, but uh, as many of our listeners probably know, arnica is a remedy for, for acute trauma, mm -hmm. produces bruising, and it could be uh, a swollen, swollen limb, or, you know, black and blue ecchymosis, bleeding, shock, and it's, it's an amazing remedy for that. But there are people who actually need that as their chronic remedy, as their constitutional remedy. And, and somebody who needs that as a, as a, and then, then hasn't integrated that or hasn't taken the remedy, they're going to be the one that is walking underneath the window where a flower pot falls and knocks on their head, right? That's an example <laughs> of, of reality sort of bending, shape-shifting in order to manifest that state that needs to be expressed. They're going to be somebody who is predisposed to experiencing car accidents, um, mm. biking accidents, falling, wow. uh, being being uh, being hit accidentally by somebody with a baseball bat or whatever it is, they're going to be they're, they're going to bring that reality into their life unless they integrate what it is about trauma, what it is about running up against the outside world, you know, yeah. living in the outside world with all of its potentially adverse influences, unless something about that is integrated, they're going to call those kinds of harsh interactions with the world into their, mm. as, as their fate. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's so interesting. And, um, yeah, I, I just, am, I'm thinking about, um, the fact that, um, I think a lot of people do get confused, um, because, it's such a different experience um, treating an acute illness with homeopathy versus a chronic because a chronic is much more involved in it and um, it, it really does bring into question everything about the person. Now, I know in your practice, you tend to treat acutes with constitutional homeopathy as well. So I'm curious, um, could you just give us a little rundown on the difference between that acute, you know, belladonna ear infection where you're asking questions about the the ear discharge and what it's better and worse from versus seeing somebody for constitutional and why you prefer to treat that way. Yeah, a great question. And so, acute acute prescribing sort of just what it sounds like when someone develops an illness, 
within a course of a few days with a generally a, an identifiable cause. Maybe they were exposed to a, a chill or in the case of Arnica, certainly a case of trauma or they were exposed to some uh, tainted water, developed diarrhea, some food poisoning, whatever it is, some infection. And they were in a previous state of relatively good health and over a course of uh, maybe just minutes or seconds in the case of trauma or over the course of hours or a day in the case of uh, some infectious illness, they develop a fever or, or so that's, and, and, and when the goal of your remedy is to just bring them back to the state of health they were before they got sick, we call that acute, acute prescribing. And that's relatively simple to do. Uh, we can usually manage that with a repertory which as most listeners, many listeners will know is a kind of a catalog and index of symptoms, which gives lists of remedies for specific symptoms and uh, patterns. You know, we call them modalities, when things occur, worse in the morning, worse at night, better with cold applications, whatever it is, we call that modalities. We, we look, look at which remedy fits using computers now, which remedy covers all of these symptoms and modalities. We give that remedy and hopefully often the patient will get better. Mm -hmm. back to their previous state of, of health. So that's very useful, obviously, and we call that acute, acute prescribing. And, and what, what we can call constitutional prescribing or deep prescribing is usually a long-term process where people come in and they describe uh, not so much acute symptoms, but chronic symptoms, symptoms that have been bothered, that bothered them for months, if not years, and, and then we go more deeply into their emotional, emotional state and overall their experience of life overall. What is the, what is the sort of the, the background music that's playing in their life? What is, the, uh, what is the story they tell themselves about their life, about the difficulties they have in life? What is the shape of that story? What is the shape? What is the nature of the relationships? How do, in what way do they feel connected or disconnected from others? You know, uh, what, what is their place in their family? Uh, how do they feel about that? What is their place in their community or in their profession or in history? Whatever that is, you know, just really being completely open to whatever the patient has to share about their experience and what it is about their experience that troubles them. Maybe it's you know, maybe it is the preoccupation with their health. Maybe it's their sexuality. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's their financial position or their security, whatever it is, just allowing the patient to describe whatever it is that is sort of deep down at the, the core of their suffering and then giving a remedy to help integrate whatever that is, that question or that suffering into uh, to help heal that so that whatever the question that suffering represents in, in a way has come to some some resolution mm -hmm. not only at the mental level maybe least of all at the mental level but really at a cellular level mm -hmm. uh, and just so that their way of being becomes more uh, integrated and and what people will say when that is done successfully is that i feel more myself and i yeah. love hearing when people say that i feel more myself mm -hmm. uh, what does it mean when somebody says, I feel more myself? If it will, before that, they weren't quite themselves. Yeah. They were in a way possessed. Yeah. Some problem, some question which wasn't resolved, which was steering, maybe not necessarily the external appearance of their lives, but at some level steering their experience of their life mm -hmm. and robbing them really of, of an autonomous, self-directed 
experience. Right? Yeah. So as you implied, Kaylee, it's, it's, it's much more complex than acute prescribing and often can take years because finding that remedy that really gets to the core of it can take a long time. That's not to say that benefits don't happen in the process because layers can be peeled off and insights can, can be gained. But sometimes it can take years to get a remedy that really gets to the bottom of, of that trouble. And that's what's so cool about constitutional care is because, as I'd mentioned earlier, there's literally um, an infinite number of remedies. You know, we're getting new remedies all the time. I think technically we have 8,000 or 9,000 now, something like that. But technically you can make a remedy from anything. So there's an incredible amount of refinement that can occur because of that, where it's like, back in the 1800s, I'm going to get the number wrong. Maybe, you know, they, they, they only had a handful, a pretty large handful, but not nearly the amount of remedies that we have today. And so the specificity that we can get now is just amazing to the point where, you know, you'll explain the remedy and what that remedy helps with, what that um, resonates with in the person's story. And they're like, what? <laughs> that is so hyper specific to me. It's like beyond anything you get from like a personality test or, uh, you know, or any other system that people use to kind of get to know themselves. It's like, you no know, down to the dreams that you have at night, it matches you. And it just reinforces that idea that we were talking about earlier, that there's a deeper meaning to this experience that the person is having. It's uncomfortable. It sucks in a lot of ways, but it's, it's almost like a avenue for that person's soul journey and the growth of the soul in some way where it's like, it's not just something where you give Tylenol and it gets better and the person is left unchanged. It's like by the end of it, the whole person's life can be rearranged and changed for the better. And, you know, oftentimes it's, it, it touches every aspect of that person's life. And I think that's what's so, um, as you said, addicting <laughs> homeopathy, because when you see that happen in front of your eyes or on video or reading a case study, you're just like, how is this? Like, this is incredible. Like, there's no other modality that, that I'm aware of that I've worked with that touches such a deep level of somebody's experience and shows that wow, thank God I had that headache or thank God I had chronic this or that because now my whole life looks different and it's for the better. And I love my life more than I did before. And I feel good <laughs> as a side effect. <laughs> yeah. A patient recently described it as she said, she felt her life was deconstructed and reconstructed. Yes. Uh, it was very That's a good way to put it. Terminology that she used. Yeah. yeah. Very, very interesting. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Um, and so that leads me to um, my next question, um, just to kind of further illustrate this concept, because it's it's great to get into the technicalities of homeopathy and everything like that. But it, as we said, it's best described through experience. And I think that's where people really get a grasp on it. So I'm curious um, for you to describe a experience that you've had personally with homeopathy and how it impacted you. Sure. Um, well, I think it's about about 15 years or so ago now, um, I developed a pretty significant health problem. I developed um, uh, pain and numbness in my legs, mm. um, which, which 
kept getting worse to the point where I could actually barely walk. I could walk maybe for um, 10, 15, 20 yards, but then I would have to stop. Uh, and it was really obviously very impacting on my, on my life. Um, and I, I did end up having it checked out and I was diagnosed with spinal stenosis. And uh, the doctor said I needed surgery on my spine, um, which I was very reluctant to do. Mm -hmm. um, and so, of course, being a homeopath, I was on a relentless search for remedies. And, and um, I, I am a com somewhat compulsive journaler. I do write down my dreams and uh, uh, just began um, really a, a very directed self-examination through, through studying my dream journals mostly and my journaling and trying to detach as much as I could, you know, just looking at the dreams. And um, I ended up um, deciding on a particular a bird remedy, mm -hmm. uh, which was the condor, the Andean condor, which uh, I ended up taking and ended up doing a trituration of. And um, that helped me a great deal. And uh, I, I ultimately went to a different bird remedy, uh, Threskionis uh, aethiopicus, which is a, 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 a um, what is that? What is the English word? Um, not the heron. Uh, Threskionis. Anyway, it's another bird. And, but but uh, bird <laughs> remedies, bird remedies altogether, completely healed me of the spinal stenosis to the point where, you know, I, I don't have any symptoms at all of, of this problem. It took, it took a couple of years, um, but I was very happy to get the use of my legs back mm -hmm. and uh, get rid of the pain and the numbness uh, in my feet. So yeah, it was a very, very, very significant healing. And it also helped me integrate many things in my emotional life as well. Uh, I think before that I had been preoccupied with issues of genocide. My mm -hmm. mother was a refugee from the Holocaust and had these premonitions, not premonitions, but inklings or from dreams that I had been uh, my mother's cousin who was, ex who was killed in a death camp in a previous life. Um, and I was a little bit over preoccupied with issues of going on in the world with the genocide in Rwanda, with other uh, global issues. Um, and, the, and, the, and, and dreams of death had come up a lot in my in my, in my dream life, um, very dark kinds of things. And also issues around just acceptance of my own corporate, my own body, you know, yeah. um, my own shit, <laughs> <laughs> or my own physical, what I felt was repulsive about being incarnated. Mm -hmm. uh, these were things which were troubling me. And a lot of the, that really lifted with, uh, with Condor and with other, some other bird remedies, as I said. Um, and I felt much more free in myself. Um, so yeah, that was a very, very significant healing for me. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I know that you ride to work on a bike every morning, so <laughs> it's safe to say that your legs are back to working order. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's incredible. Yeah. And it just, 
is another illustration how how much information um, you can get from your dreams. And um, a lot of my listeners love astrology. So this is actually a really good time to look at your dreams because Jupiter is going to be in Pisces, which is all about the dream world. And Jupiter is expansive and really helps to highlight the um, positive and negative qualities of Pisces. And the positive is connection to God, connection to the unconscious, connection to dreams. So it's definitely a really good time to start a dream journal. And I wouldn't be surprised if people start experiencing more profound dreams, remembering their dreams more, getting more messages. If you engage in the process, um, you'd be surprised what can be answered in dreams. I've even heard, you know, people who didn't know their birth time, for example, um, for, you know, who wanted to get a chart reading have gotten their birth time in a dream before just by asking for it. And they resonated with the chart and everything. And so don't underestimate the power of a dream because it really, um, it brings up that idea of compensation, which is something that I'm really interested in. Um, Rajan Sankaran, who is a Indian homeopath, speaks a lot about this in his book, The Spirit of Homeopathy. I'm sure he's talked about it many places, but that the reason that dreams are so profound and so useful is because they're in an uncompensated state because, you know, we're, we're all well-meaning when we come to a homeopath or a therapist or anybody that we're trying to have a dialogue with to heal. But because we have to live in society and we have to adapt to everyday demands, we compensate our state because if we were just in our full-fledged unhealed state, it would kind of be a mess. Unhealed <laughs> or so, unhinged. <laughs> unhinged. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Unhinged. And so the right. body is smart. It's like, let's compensate for this so that you can live your life um, to the best ability that you can, even in this state. And so we don't realize that we do this and we don't realize why we're preoccupied with certain things, why certain things take more effort to do when somebody else does it easily. And so the dreams really show us who we are when all of those barriers are down, when you know we just let the unconscious go wild with what's actually happening up there. And you know how is it manifesting in our life as a problem or a symptom? And so um, that's what I, I love about it. And also I think just the stream of consciousness style of a homeopathic interview does that because I can even speak from personal experience. It's like, you don't really know what's going to come up. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, some people come in with journals and they read a list of what happened, but if you allow yourself to just be in the flow and in the interview state, and you just let whatever comes up, come up, it'll surprise you even. So you can do it that way too. If you're somebody who doesn't remember their dreams or even doing, um, stream of consciousness writing in a journal, you know, just letting whatever comes up and not editing it, not judging it, um, not even trying to figure it out, but just letting loose and getting into a practice of being in a more uncompensated state. So you can see what is the, what's really going on because it can be hard to have access to that. It can be hard to know why we're experiencing things and what we're even compensating because it's just something that we've done for so many years. Absolutely right. Absolutely yeah. right. Otherwise we wouldn't be able to function. Right. 
Yeah, exactly. Um, and, and even things that we feel are a non-issue in our lives, like, you know, when I was reading that section on compensation, he had described somebody who brought up in a homeopathic interview that, you know, they thought it was so important to have friends and they're always making friends and they love having friends around. Um, why, why did that person choose to talk about it? It's because on some layer, A, friendships are important, relationships are important, but there's something, there's some sort of compensation, like why, why this um, preoccupation, as you said, with that particular subject? Why not bring up romantic relationships or something else? There's something there for you that deserves to be explored. And if you do explore it, it will be pretty profound. Yes, that points, you know, point, points to the importance of allowing the patient to speak spontaneously yeah. and not direct the interview because what the patient brings up spontaneously is where we need to really witness, give our attention. If we start off a homeopathic case by asking pointed questions, we're going to end up taking our own case. <laughs> we're going to end up giving the patient the remedy that we need yeah. Because we're asking about things we're interested in and or we're right. concerned about. We need to right. allow the patient to speak spontaneously yeah. and that, access that inner question that his or her life is asking, right? Exactly, and has been asking for, for so long. And I love when I see patients realize that in the end of, of how there has been kind of a central theme. Mm-hmm. And once, because they haven't really told the full story from like beginning to end before and they're like oh I keep saying I'm stuck in this I'm stuck in that and this was stuck and that was stuck and my bowels are stuck and my (laughs) my joints are stuck and you know it's just like oh okay like this there's something to this and that just speaks to that manifestation that it's like the central issue manifests in everything it's not just your symptom. It, it's going to be in your dreams. It's going to be in your reality. It's going to be how you see the world and what you fixate on. And it can really cloud your perception. And so it's like unfogging those glasses with homeopathy of like, no, you don't have to, you don't have to project that anymore. You can integrate and resolve this and everything will show up differently and you'll feel better. And yeah, I, I just thank you for sharing that um, experience with Condor. It's it's fascinating how, you know, one person can experience the same exact symptom set and they're going to need a totally different remedy and they're going to resonate with totally different, you know, maybe it's a mineral or maybe it's a plant or maybe it's something else. And and that's another kind of flaw, I guess, and a, a, something that is unfortunate in conventional medicine is that it's like you were saying it's an algorithm where it's like this is the standard of care that we do for for this disease hopefully it works for you (laughs) yeah um so uh my last question for you before we get to listener questions is um what is you know i know you've learned many things in 20 years but what's something that stands out to you that you've learned in your uh, 20 years of seeing patients and how has it changed the way you see health and humanity itself? Wow, that's a broad question. Could be answered in so many ways. Um, I I guess what comes to mind um, is that there is an answer for everybody. 
no matter how alone or desperate or unsolvable an issue appears to be, you know, the universe really does have some, I'll, I'll use the word companion mm -hmm. to, to assist you in your process of healing. And maybe it isn't, maybe it isn't recovery from a disease. Maybe, maybe the, maybe the answer, maybe you, you've been diagnosed with a serious terminal or terminal illness, but you know, it's possible to die with a, in a state of bliss. Mm -hmm. you know? So, so I'm not saying that homeopathy can cure every illness. Can't. There are certain, you know, we all die. Mortality is part of the package, right? But there is a way to integrate lessons without suffering so much. And, uh, you know, that's what I've learned through this art and science that homeopathy has that gift to offer each and every one of us some companion, some way of reflecting back to us the the answer to that question that, that our life is asking. Yeah, that's beautiful. Um, I completely agree. And um, it is amazing the stories that I've heard of, of people who have been on their deathbed and palliative care and um, they end up resolving a lot of things from their past. And like you said, they die in bliss or with complete peace or they have relationship healings at the end of their life. And then they feel like they're really ready to go, or maybe they release the fear of death. Um, that's definitely a big interest of mine that I hope to explore in the podcast further is, is that idea of homeopathy for end of life, because I think it's an option that people are just completely unaware of and how much that can help somebody, even if they are going to die. Yeah. It's, it's 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 immense the the amount of healing that can happen even in those last days or last weeks with homeopathy so i like that topic on that note um we do have some listener questions and so i wanted to get to those and the first one is do homeopathic remedies increase intuition uh the short answer is yes. <laughs> and, and, uh, <laughs> yeah, we recently, Kaylee, you were recently uh, sitting in on a case where a patient said exactly that, right? She said, I feel like my powers of intuition have increased since taking the remedy. Yeah. We, we, we smiled at each other. Uh, but mm -hmm. yes, um, why is that? I think, you know, when you become more yourself, you have more access to... Um, yeah, more access to all of the different ways of knowing. And intuition is uh, our birthright. And, um, and in our society, in our culture, it's, it tends to be a devalued way of knowing. Right? Uh, but when we become more integrated, more, more ourselves, then we have more access to, to intuition, which is a kind of just a, an alertness and awareness of things that are being conveyed to us uh, subliminally through through senses that we that when one may not be aware of at the moment, our body picks up cues. We tune into things. Uh, whereas if our energy, you know, if we're in a in, in a state of of dis-ease, our energy is being consumed in such a way that 
that it's not available to intuition or to many other things that are our birthright. Yeah, yeah, I was looking at um, my notes from that and what um, the patient had mentioned for her was that she lost the fear of following it, that she could in some ways hear it, but it was louder and stronger and she was no longer afraid of what that would mean to follow those messages. And so that was something that the remedy had provided her was that more of a trusting in it, that it, it did have the the right answers for her and that she could follow it because, you know, I think in today's world, we're so inundated with everybody's opinion on something, you know, it's, it's like never before how much information we have access to. And so there's so many reasons to doubt it, especially if it goes contrary to um, things that um, people we respect have told us or things that we've learned from people we think know more than us or who have more um, letters behind their name. And so it can be really hard to hear our intuition. There's so many other voices that can be in our head that's that's muddling that. And so with a remedy that getting clearer and stronger and quieting down some of those other people's voices, it's so valuable because we always have the answers in us all along. It's just, do we have access to them? Can we hear it? Can we trust it? And can we take action on it? Yes. Right. So the next one, um, and I know this varies, but they wanted to know how long does treatment last? I assume they mean with um, constitutional. <laughs> yeah, boy, that that's that's a big question. That's, there's so much variation. I wish I had a good, quick answer. Eight months. <laughs> because I have some patients who, you know, I the first or second time I see them, I give a remedy that it just really, really meets them at their center. Mm-hmm. Three or four months, they're ready to say goodbye. And then they come back as needed, maybe once a year, maybe once every five years, you know, maybe I don't see them again. Mm-hmm. That's fine. That's great. The, the remedy did its work, you know. And then I have many patients who it takes several, three, four, five, six, you know, a year, two years to really get a remedy that works well. Probably the majority of patients, I would say, fall into that category. Mm-hmm. One, two years of, mm-hmm. of good work together, meeting once every six to eight weeks. You know? uh, and then there's a fair number of patients who take quite a bit longer. I have patients who I've been seeing for 15 years. <laughs> And they've been helped, but I know that I still haven't found exactly what they need. Mm-hmm. And I'm amazed they still come to see me. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it really gives an insight into why we use the word patient. Yeah, yeah, uh, that's true. Maybe they just like to rant to you too. And, you know, you're a good sure. listener. I mean, in some ways it's a therapy, you know, just to be able to share is therapeutic. And yeah. there's that function. But I do also sense that there's a part of them that knows at some level there's something yet that needs to be discovered. And they're, they want really badly to have that unlocked. And yeah. I do too. And yeah. I can't, I'm not often frustrated because I sometimes feel, God, I'm sure I got the right remedy. And yet they come back the next time, six weeks later, and it's still the same. And it's like, mm-hmm. wow, I still didn't get it. I have to create complete openness again to, you know, release all of my assumptions or opinions yeah. and about them and listen with fresh, you know, fresh attention. Yeah. And, uh, you know, after working with someone for 15 years, that's, that can be hard. Yeah. Uh, but that happens. 
Um, so yeah, so it can, it's very variable. Yeah, makes sense. Everybody's so different. Yeah. So the next one is why is homeopathy more effective in root cause treatment than other forms of natural medicine? So we kind of touched on the conventional in some ways we touched on this already, but if you have anything to add to that, go right ahead. Yes, that's a great question. Um, you know, and I, I'm not completely tied to the fact that it's more effective than every other natural form. I mean, I, there's a lot I don't know. <laughs> I haven't experienced, you know, gone to, I haven't done ayahuasca and shamanistic <laughs> treatment. Uh, I haven't been, yeah. uh, haven't often been to acupuncturists. And so there's a lot I don't know. But what I can say is that some of natural medicine, not all, but some of natural medicine has unfortunately um, fallen into a materialist paradigm itself. Much of, for example, what naturopaths do with prescribing supplements and herbs, it, it's relying on a biochemical model still. Mm -hmm. That is that some, some assumptions that illness is a result of a deficiency of something or an excess of something, and, and we need somehow to mechanically change that just by using non-pharmacological means, using natural means, using nutrition or herbs or whatever, supplements. And, and I think, you know, that certainly has its place. That certainly has helped lots and lots of people. I'm not saying it's not worth anything. I'm just saying it doesn't get to the root cause, which has to do again with our nature, understanding of what is reality. You know, if we understand that, that at, at bottom, we are not necessarily just material beings, right? We are, uh, we have consciousness at our root. Uh, we have awareness at our root and when we have dis-ease, that dis-ease is in our consciousness, it's in our awareness. And yet somehow that awareness is also held by ourselves, right? Which, which then create dis-ease in the cells in, a, in, a, in an, an explicate form, in a material form, which we can measure, but at its root is a disturbance in consciousness. Mm -hmm. so, so any form of therapy that doesn't somehow get to consciousness and also doesn't understand or doesn't is not based on the unity of mind and body mm -hmm. that our somatic disturbances are rooted in a disturbance in consciousness embodied consciousness cannot get to the root of illness right? mm -hmm. homeopathy does that it it, it it it's based on this understanding that consciousness is at the basis of illness and that our bodies are embodied consciousness yeah and so the other question that I, I get sometimes too is say somebody is um on medication going the conventional route or they are taking supplements and herbs with a naturopath can they still um receive homeopathic care while they're doing that absolutely yeah you know once you get the right remedy you'll heal yeah. no matter what else you're doing <laughs> and, 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 and I don't mean to minimize or disregard other, other yeah. actually what I've seen also is that once people get on a good remedy, they actually become more aware of other therapies that will act synergistically with a remedy. Hmm. So they may discover just the right body worker who mm -hmm. really helps whatever that muscle tightness resolve or that chronic shin splint heal, whatever it is. They'll find, or they'll discover a, a food or a diet that really, really helps them feel better and doesn't feel restrictive. You know, mm -hmm. so much of nutritional therapy 
as you know, Kaylee, you know, it, it's so restrictive. People end up, oh, I have to cut this out. I have to cut this out. And then they just feel deprived, right? <laughs> yeah. But, but when somebody gets a good remedy, they may shift their diet, but it's, it's, it's in a way that feels good, not that feels somehow like self-deprivation. I see. Um, so fascinating so it's it's like in a way it, it can be kind of a conjunctive therapy and then once the remedy is found they can kind of be less restrictive or go back to doing what they were doing or alter it in a way like that's unique to them like you were saying where right. it feels good and so yeah i just i wanted to make sure that was clear because that is a question where it's like well is it going to interfere with homeopathy do i have to drop everything and just do homeopathy or can i do other things with homeopathy and still benefit. And the answer, as you said, is yes, you can. So give it a try. <laughs> um, so let's see. This is also a question we kind of answered. Um, what role do dreams play in treatment? So maybe you can expand on how you use it with patients a little bit more. Yeah, I think dreams can be really helpful uh, for me in terms of understanding what is unconscious? What is what is the patient not aware of? Um, so that's you know that's certainly true of psychotherapeutic work as well. The way in which it's also more specific to homeopathy is that uh, after I give a patient a remedy, I'm very often remedies will stimulate dream life. So most of my patients, when I ask them their dreams, they say, "Well, I don't remember my dreams," and I usually have to persist several times. Well, just take a minute, <laughs> any dream that you've had in the last few weeks. And often that doesn't work. I say, well, that's okay. Just take another minute and think of any dream you've ever had, you know, and, and usually eventually somebody will, will offer up a dream. <laughs> I'm always very appreciative of, um, but dreams are, and so dreams can help point us towards a remedy. Sometimes in a, in a minority of cases, sometimes because actually the substance of the remedy will, will appear in the, in the dream. And that's always lovely when that happens, but more often or not, it's because the dream in some way um, is a dramatization of the energy of the remedy, mm. specifically the feeling that, especially if one incorporates the feeling the patient has in the dream as part of, part of that picture. Um, but uh, even more importantly is in the follow-ups, <clears throat> I'm very interested in dreams because what I'm expecting is that over, over the course of time, the dreams will become uh, more resolved. People will experience a greater sense of well-being at the end of the dream. Um, that is, you know, in very simple terms, nightmares will turn into happy dreams. Mm -hmm. um, but more, more accurately over a longer term, we'll see the theme of the patient's struggle or suffering reflected in the dream with a kind of resolution. So the dreams give me uh, a litmus test as to whether or not the remedy is actually right and is working, oh. you know, because if somebody, for example, tells me in their follow up that, you know, whatever the particular symptom is, you know, my heartburn is much, much better. And then I ask them about their dreams and they say, you know, Doug, I used to have such happy dreams, but now I'm having these nightmares. Mm. Then I'll know that in spite of the fact that their heartburn is better, something is wrong. Yeah. Right? That, wow. physical, that physical problem has then been actually repressed, suppressed and push back, oh. right? So, so dreams are very important at understanding uh, what is the state of consciousness, even if the patient isn't aware of it. What about when a patient has many dreams and then after taking a remedy, they stop having dreams? 
Is that also a positive sign in some cases or not? Can so much? Can be, but it could also not be. So uh, if a patient um, was having disturbing dreams mm -hmm. and then they go into restful sleep that's dreamless, that's great. Mm -hmm. That's totally fine. Mm -hmm. um, but if the patient um, was having good dreams mm -hmm. and then <laughs> and helpful dreams and then yeah. they end up not having dreams and you yeah. also don't see a lot improving on other levels, that would concern me. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Helps have to, you know, take the whole picture into account. Yeah. So the last question we have here is can you share some patient cases and success stories? Any that come to mind? Gosh, yeah, there's so many. It's a little hard to choose. Me, <laughs> I know. Yeah, let me share one that comes to mind uh, because it was it was a dramatic physical, you know, so so many of my cases are mostly psychological. Mm -hmm. But this was a case of, uh, what comes to mind is a case of a few years back where I think she was a 63-year-old woman came to me saying, I've been diagnosed with a terminal illness. Uh, she had idiopathic pulmonary artery hypertension, which means that she had no underlying chronic heart disease, no underlying chronic illness, and yet she was diagnosed with uh, high blood pressure in her pulmonary artery, the artery that goes from the heart to the lungs, uh, leading to heart failure. Mm. And um, there was no good conventional medical treatment. Uh, she was told she had very limited lifespan, just two or three years, and was put on a list for a heart transplant. So uh, pressure was on, <laughs> to say. Yeah, to say the least. Right. And um, her story was very interesting. Her life story is very interesting. A lot of trauma as a child, uh, history of abuse. Um, she experienced her parents as incredibly neglectful. Mm -hmm. And specifically, her father, who was the main abuser, I can't remember whether he was physically or sexually or verbally abusive or what the combination was. I just remember he was abusive. And, and, and she experienced her mother as being somewhat silently complicit, mm. as so many children, right, who are abused do, because the mother didn't protect protect her from mm. the abuse. But it was interesting that the, the particular tone of this was interesting. There were also there was lots of issues around financial security, issues around homelessness, mm. issues around value of herself that also came up. It was a, quite a complex case psychologically yeah. as well as physically. She ended up working in a bank where she became aware of some financial improprieties in the bank, right? And felt herself in some ways maybe complicit in this. She mm -hmm. eventually ended up having to leave the bank because of her qualms about it. But her skills, her set of financial skills, uh, didn't really lend themselves to other kinds of jobs. She found herself having a really hard time and also struggling with near homelessness herself. Oh, wow. And uh, so she felt a lot of pressure, a lot of survival pressures. And then, and then she ended up, when she contacted me, she was working as a very poorly paid property manager in an apartment complex. You know, a job where you're just dealing with tenant complaints and finding tenants and 
So all these kinds of things, right? Stressful job, not much appreciation, low pay. This was the state she was in when she called me with this new diagnosis of pulmonary artery hypertension. So it took a number of remedies. It took four or five remedies to find exactly the right one. The remedy that ended up healing her was a remedy made from diamond, Adamas, mm. oh. and uh, which is carbon, really. Mm-hmm. Carbon has a lot to do with self-value, whether one self, whether one considers yourself that, when do you consider yourself a value or not? But diamond itself, if you think about the the place of diamond in our world, the diamond is is the there's there's a lot of corruption, right, in the diamond trade. When we think about you know children being used to dig mining, dig diamonds, and the diamond industry's use of corrupt practices to create artificial shortages, and there's all kinds of shenanigans and diamonds are connected in our conscious with sort of secret cabals and, mm-hmm. and uh, sort of um, complicity and kind of conspiracies of all kinds and issues of value and money. Anyway, um, in the proving of diamond, uh, or one of the themes was the, uh, was I think it was the theme of women, you know, when you, supposedly in popular culture, it's women who want diamonds, right? So the theme of women fascinated and complicit in dark, corrupt, and violent male power. That is mm-hmm. one of the themes of diamond. Mm-hmm. Anyway, she, with the remedy Adamas or diamond, um, her blood pressure came down, her energy started increasing. Um, she was able to get off blood pressure medicines and she just started feeling better and better. And as far as I know, she's she's fine today. So that was a great a great case of uh, homeopathy, you know, healing somebody from a potentially um, terminal illness. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, do you have any uh, cases that come to mind of more the mental illness category too that that stand out to you? Just because I know that. Um, that's just something that's exploding today in our society is depression and anxiety and um, even suicidality and schizophrenia and all these things, um, especially you know with the lockdowns that happened last year and just it's happening more and more and younger and younger. So I always want to bring awareness to homeopathy for mental health issues too, because a lot of people do think of it primarily for physical and they don't sometimes think of it for that. So if you have any that come to mind, I know there's there's many, I'm sure. Um, I'd love for you to share. Thanks, Kayla. There's so many. I guess I'll no. just... Uh, <laughs> I'm putting you on the spot. <laughs> no, it's fine. It's fine. One that comes to mind because I just I just recently uh, talked about this case to, to a group. Uh, a woman in her, also in her 60s, who is really crippled with anxiety about the pandemic mm-hmm. um, and also with grief about the loss of her cat and um, uh, was having a lot of stomach pain as a what we call a concomitant along with the, mm-hmm. along with the emotional distress. Um, and she wouldn't leave her apartment. And even more interestingly, or what we would call stranger and peculiar, um, she has a sister who is who was in the process of dying and she didn't want to talk to her sister. Mm-hmm. Kind of said, well, we're done. We said everything we needed to say to each other, and uh, we have nothing more to say. 
and she had a, really an aversion to having any contact with her family of origin. And one could say a kind of indifference mm. to her to her family and in, in a way to her sister, although she said, you know, we're all good, we said everything. It was a little bit odd that she didn't want to at all be a comfort to her sister as her sister was dying. And um, this is a patient who loved the ocean, loved the sea. She grew up in Hawaii and she would go on and on about the sea. And, and she also said some odd things about not going in areas where certain fish were because it was like it was their territory and one wouldn't go there because the fish are there. But a lot of a lot of energy around the ocean and the sea. And she had going back to dreams, she had dreams of being in an elevator. And the elevator's movement was erratic. Mm. And that would, would sort of be uncomfortable for her. And also at one point in your case, she says something about air moving all through her from the bottom of her feet to the top of her head. It was a rather odd thing to say. And uh, that led me to the remedy Nautilus, which is uh, a cephalopod. You know, I'll show, I'll show you the shell of a Nautilus here in a minute. So, oh, yes. so this is a Nautilus, right? Yeah. And, and what the Nautilus, the Nautilus is a cephalopod uh, like sepia. Sepia is a well-known remedy in the same biological family, it's also a cephalopod. Most cephalopods um, have internalized the mollusk's shell, um, like octopus or squid or sepia, the cuttlefish, they've internalized that, so it's not so hard and rigid. But the, cephal the, the nautilus is a cephalopod which has this external shell like most other mollusks, but it's chambered. And these chambers are used to, to hold or to get rid of air. Mm -hmm. and, and what that does for the Nautilus, is it allows them to go up and down, mm -hmm. to navigate. Mm -hmm. So her experience of this elevator in her dreams is an expression of actually the natural life cycle of the Nautilus. And, and sepia, this other cephalopod, is well known for kind of an indifference or aversion to one's families. That's what gave me a hint that she needed a remedy close to sepia, but also had something to do with this up and down movement, elevator-like and air moving in and out. So, uh, so by giving her the remedy Nautilus, uh, she felt like, a, she actually is the one that I mentioned earlier, used the term deconstructed and reconstructed. Oh. Her she felt complete, so much better and was feeling enthusiastic about going out into the world. The anxiety was gone. The grief over her cat was gone. She just felt like a new person, um, very much more alive. So that's the anxiety. The, the anxiety disorder was really, really healed. Mm, that's beautiful. I love that. And it's so fascinating that that exact life cycle was being expressed somehow in her in her dream to yes. you know it's like helping the homeopath and pointing to the remedy that's going to help her so much with these symptoms so that's that's amazing yes yes well thank another, you yeah, oh, yeah, just another just a quick yeah uh, i want to point out i just the other day i had a really lovely follow-up with a boy a 10 year old boy who had a lot of behavioral problems uh, easily angered would lash out at his teachers, um, at other kids, at his brother, uh, also concentration problems, 
Um, he would also get very angry at his grandfather who was living in their space for a while. Uh, he had become suicidally depressed. Mm -hmm. And uh, I just had a follow-up the other day with him and he's completely healed of all of those symptoms. All of those symptoms. And I'm reminded of him because his remedy was also a sea remedy. His okay. remedy was the man of war jellyfish. Oh. The Portuguese man of war. Uh, <laughs> and he just completely healed with that remedy. So yeah, we see just amazing cures of behavioral, of mental health issues uh, from this amazing variety of, of experiences in our cosmos, embodied mm -hmm. by these amazing creatures, animal, plant, and mineral that we are accompanied by as we journey through this life. So. Yeah, it just speaks to the depth of our human experience is so much more than um, what we're led to believe in our daily lives and what we learned in school. And um, I hope that this kind of awareness is brought back into human consciousness that there there's so much more to experience, there's so much depth and meaning in life and homeopathy can help to integrate all of those experiences so that you can be healthy and enjoy your human experience as much as possible. So thank you so much, Doug, for being on. I appreciate it so much. Um, and do you wanna remind everybody about where they can find you? Sure, well, first of all, Debbie, thanks so much for, for asking me. It's been a great conversation, really fun to do this. Yeah. Appreciate that. Yeah, my website is homeopathichealing.org. Wonderful. All right. Well, that's a wrap, guys. Thank you so, so much for listening and um, stay tuned for the next episode.